Please take your Bibles. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, reading together verses 1 through 11. Luke, chapter 6, 1 through 11. This is God's Word. Luke writes, Now on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again and ask him to help us as we study his word. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the Sabbath day. Would you give us grace to know, Lord, what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy? And we pray that you would forgive all of our sins, that you would convict us, Lord, uh, whether of our legalism or our lawlessness. We ask that you would show us the way in which we should walk and give us grace and courage to walk in it by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Elizabeth and I got married, I was in seminary back in 2001, and uh, we lived in a duplex in Bellhaven, 1012 Poplar Boulevard. I've shared with some of you, you've heard me talk about our driveway before. Our driveway was narrow and it was treacherous, right? It went up along one side of the duplex and on one side of the driveway was the, 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 the house. Like the, the duplex itself was right there, nothing between the concrete and the house. On the other side was a one to two foot drop off into the Magnolia Roots, right? It was easy to drive up this driveway, but when you got to the, the parking area at the back of the duplex, it was not so easy to turn around, sort of a six to 10 point turn, right? To come down forward down the driveway. So you inevitably had to back your way down the driveway. But as you can imagine, that was a little bit treacherous, a little bit scary. You were running the risk of, of running smack dab into the duplex, right? Or of falling off of the slab and either, you know, getting stuck on the slab because of the depth of the drop or, you know, just destroying the underbody of your car. And so every morning, right, began with this sort of tension and danger, like, am I going to make it out of my driveway today? Now, as I've thought back on that, uh, driveway and that duplex, I, I've become very thankful for it, not only because it taught me how to drive backwards, right, but also because at the very beginning of my pastoral ministry, it gave to me this very concrete reality and picture that, that pointed to the fact that we as Christians face threats on either side, particularly as we approach the commandments of God. 
On the one hand, we can fall into the ditch of antinomianism. Antinomianism is a sort of fancy-nancy word that, that just means lawlessness, right? Anti, against, nomos, the law, being against the law of God. An antinomian is one who rejects the necessity of holiness, who rejects the necessity of obedience. As Jude 4 puts it, right, they, they turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, into lawlessness, sensuality. So, so that's the danger on the one hand, but on the other hand, right, we can slam into the house of legalism. We can put on an outward show of, of loving God's law, of loving holiness, but really we can be just as lawless as the antinomian because like Satan in the Garden of Eden, we are adding to God's word, adding man-made rules to God's laws and then subtracting from the truth of God's requirements, focusing on the minutiae, Right. neglecting the weightier provisions of the law, as Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, we can strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Right. We can clean the outside of the cup, but on the inside, it'd be full of self-indulgence and, and greed and covetousness and hypocrisy and lawlessness. And just like my driveway there on Poplar Boulevard, it's very easy to careen into one of the dangers because you're trying to stay away from the other danger. And sometimes we swerve back and forth between the two. Well, both of these dangers of, of legalism and antinomianism are particularly real when we think about the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Some, like the Pharisees in our text, add to the Sabbath command in, in order to avoid even coming close to breaking the Sabbath. But by their additions, they gut the divine intention of God's command. Others, not wanting to even come close to being a Pharisee, right, run into the opposite extreme of thinking or living as if the fourth commandment is no longer binding upon the Christian. That the Lord's day is not the Christian's Sabbath day. There's no longer a duty to remember to keep any particular day of the week set apart as holy, as, as different. And so there's nothing that you can do that would be unlawful on the Lord's Day. Everything's acceptable. Everything is allowable. Sunday's just a second Saturday, except you come to church before lunch, right? Well, in our text this morning, Luke tells us of two Sabbath day encounters that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And in these encounters, our Lord and our Savior rejects both the legalistic view of the Sabbath and the lawless view of the Sabbath. He tells us that he himself is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he shows us how to keep the Sabbath day holy by cleaning off the, the barnacles of human tradition and restoring God's original purposes for the day. So I want us to look at those two things, how Jesus rejects the legalistic view of the Sabbath, but also rejects the lawless view of the Sabbath. First, how, does, how do we see Jesus here rejecting a legalistic view of the Sabbath? Well, in the first story that Luke records for us, Jesus and his disciples are, are passing through a grain field. And the disciples are, are picking the heads of grain, and they are eating them. Some Pharisees happen to, to be nearby, and they accuse them of breaking God's law. Now, you might read this story, and, and at first you're thinking, well, yes, they're breaking the eighth commandment, you shall not steal, right? They're taking someone else's grain. But 
if you know the book of Deuteronomy, perhaps you know that in Deuteronomy 23, uh, God actually allowed the poor to, to eat from other people's wheat fields and, and vineyards. As long as you didn't carry a, a basket with you to put the wheat in, or as long as you didn't have a sickle to, to, you know, to cut down the wheat. Right? But if you were just gleaning, if you were just walking through and you were hungry, it was okay for the poor to, to eat some of the, the wheat or some of the grapes. No, the, to the Pharisees, the, the disciples were guilty of breaking the fourth commandment. They were working on the Sabbath day. They were preparing food on the Sabbath day. They were harvesting and threshing and and winnowing. They were taking the heads of of, of grain and and rubbing in their hands and and throwing away the chaff and eating the wheat. No, this is is work. They are breaking the Sabbath day. All these sorts of things, winnowing, threshing, harvesting, preparing food, these things and very many more were, were forbidden by rigid pharisaical regulations. So in their view, the disciples are profaning God's holy day. Well, how does Jesus respond? You notice that Jesus defends his disciples against this accusation, and he does it by reminding the Pharisees of David's actions back in 1 Samuel 21. You remember in that chapter, David had already been anointed the king over Israel, but Saul is still on the throne. David has fled from Saul. He, He flees from Jerusalem, right, fearing for his life, and he comes to the town of Nob. And there in Nob is the house of God. The priest, Ahimelech, is there. David and his men are, are present, but they have no food to eat. They've, they've fled. They've run away. And so they go to Ahimelech and they say, do you have anything that we can eat? Do you have any food here? Well, as Jesus reminds us, right, the, the only bread that was there was the consecrated bread, the bread of the presence, the bread that the priest would, would set forth before God's presence every Sabbath day. And that was only lawful for the priest to eat. And yet, as 1 Samuel tells us, as Jesus reminds us, David and his men were permitted to eat it. Jesus' point is that if David can set aside a divinely ordained ceremonial law to do what was necessary to preserve life, then certainly Jesus, as great David's greater son, can set aside man-made Sabbath regulations. The Pharisees here didn't have a clue who they were talking to, did they? Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who created the Sabbath. I am the one who can determine what is lawful on the Sabbath day. And and what I am telling you, Pharisees, is that works of necessity, things that are vital to sustain life, things that could be done on no other day, these are lawful. The Pharisees here are forbidding what God allowed. They're adding burdensome burdensome regulations and restrictions to God's law that he never intended to be there. And they are turning this day of rest and rejoicing into a day of oppression. So that's the first story. But there's a second story that shows us how Jesus rejects a legalistic view of the Sabbath. In the second story, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Every eye is on him, but not because they're so captivated by his teaching, rather As you see, the scribes and the Pharisees are are watching to see whether Jesus will heal someone on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him of of being a Sabbath breaker, of being a lawbreaker. The Pharisees only would allow medical help on the Sabbath when it was a life or death situation. And certainly a withered hand is not going to kill you. You know, come back tomorrow if you want to be healed. Find Jesus along the road as he's traveling around. Like, what are you doing here? Why do you want to be healed on the Sabbath day? Jesus knows that a a trap is set, but he courageously calls the man forward. And then he asks the scribes and the Pharisees a question. He says, is it lawful? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy life? 
Jesus stares them down, doesn't he? And they don't respond. They don't answer his question. Why? Because the answer is clear. Everyone there would have known the answer to his question. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. And so he tells the man to stretch out his hand. He stretches it out and it's restored. It's healed. Isn't it amazing? Jesus heals the man without doing anything that could have had them accuse him of working on the Sabbath. He did nothing. He said, hey, stretch your hand out. The man stretches his hand out and he's healed. Jesus here showing the Pharisees what? Your prohibitions aren't just adding to God's commands, but they're also taking away from God's commands. Your refusal to answer my questions is an indictment of the hardness of your heart, of the lovelessness that fills your heart towards your fellow men. It's in the parallel passage of this story in Matthew's gospel where Jesus says, if you have a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, won't you pull it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Now we often talk about the ox in the ditch to argue for the, the, the lawfulness of works and necessity, but Jesus actually uses that story of the ox in the ditch or the sheep in the ditch to argue for the lawfulness of works of mercy. How much more value is a, is a man than a sheep, than an ox? Like you're going to care for your animals. Why wouldn't you care for the people that are around you, made in the image of God? You, you see, God's prohibitions against doing the work of the six days or of causing others to work, not even your servants, not even the foreigners, the, the people who weren't God's people living in their midst. The reason why God prohibits these things is for the positive purpose of giving your neighbor rest and refreshment. And so works of mercy are in no way unlawful. No, they're rather part and parcel with the very reason why God has ordained a Sabbath day, why God commands his people to keep the Sabbath day holy. So here are the Pharisees. They're legalistic in their understanding and application of the fourth commandment. They command more than God has commanded, and they command less than God has commanded. And so they fail to live according to the heart of God's command toward God and toward other people. And Jesus would have none of it. So we see Jesus here rejecting a legalistic view of the Sabbath. But, but secondly, Jesus also rejects a lawless view of the Sabbath. Now, it's perhaps not as easy to see this point in our text because the, the Pharisees' legalism looms so large. And yet his rejection of antinomianism, of a lawless view of the Sabbath, is, is just as clear in several ways. First, Notice Jesus' designation of himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He, he's not exercising that lordship to abolish the Sabbath, just like he doesn't exercise his lordship to abolish those other creation ordinances, work, marriage. No, what he's doing here is clearing away the rust, clearing away the rubbish of human commands that obscured the day's original purpose. Jesus never here says the fourth commandment no longer binds his people or that it's merely a ceremonial law that was destined to pass away with all the other ceremonial laws. No, Jesus is still the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and we see it, don't we, in the end of John's gospel in the book of Acts, how Jesus has exercised his lordship to change the Sabbath day from the seventh day in the old covenant to the first day of the week on, in the new covenant. The first day of the week, the day that he rose from the dead, the day that he gathered with his people before the ascension, the day that the church gathered to hear God's word, to worship corporately. Remember in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, on the first day of the week, set aside, right? Tithe, give 
what you want to give. The first day of the week was the Lord's day. It was the Christian Sabbath. In Jesus Christ and in his resurrection, the new creation had appeared. Jesus has come. The Sabbath day is now the first day of the week, celebrating the creation of God. But Jesus is yet to come. There there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We still anticipate that eternal Sabbath to come when Jesus returns. And so the fourth commandment still abides, though without the old covenant civil and ceremonial forms. So we see Jesus, even in calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath, is rejecting a a lawless view of the Sabbath. But but secondly, we notice it in Jesus' own practice. We've already seen earlier in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, that it was Jesus' custom, it was his habit to attend the synagogue worship on the Sabbath day. We see the same thing here. In verse 6, Luke tells us that on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue, was, was worshiping God, was teaching God's word to God's people. What is he doing but setting a, a vital example for us of how important gathering together for corporate worship on the Sabbath day is, of, of hearing the word of God, uh, of sitting under the preaching and teaching of the scriptures, of doing works not only of mercy but of, of piety as well, both public and private. See, Jesus took the Sabbath seriously for himself and for his disciples. He saw it as a glorious opportunity and responsibility to serve the Lord and to serve others. But thirdly, Jesus rejects a a lawless view of the Sabbath in his concern for doing what is lawful on the Sabbath day. Now, certainly in this text, in this story, the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? They're the the antagonists. They're the people that we love to hate. But as we see in verse 9, Jesus shares their commitment to discerning what is lawful to do on the Sabbath and to doing that which is lawful on the Sabbath. Now, obviously, Jesus disagreed with where the Pharisees drew the lines, but he doesn't disagree with their conviction that there are certain things that are lawful and certain things that are unlawful to do on the Sabbath day. And how could Jesus share that idea, that thought, that that somehow it doesn't matter how we live? He was the one who created the Sabbath back in Genesis chapter 2. He was the one who appointed it as a creation ordinance together with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus was the one who made the Sabbath for man, who wove it into the fabric of our humanity, of of the world that God made. So to rub your, your hand, to break the Sabbath, to reject the Sabbath, is to rub your hand against the grain of the world that is, of, of who you are as a human made in the image of God. The Sabbath has been given to us as humans, as men and women made in the image of God. But not only the creation ordinance, Jesus was was there at the beginning, but he was also there in Exodus 20 when when with the Father and the Spirit, God communicates the moral law to Israel through Moses, including the commandment to remember the Sabbath day that has existed from the beginning. Remember it, meaning it's already been there. Remember to keep it holy, set apart, distinct from the other six days of the week. And we saw it this morning, didn't we, in Exodus chapter 16, The Sabbath is no mere mosaic ceremonial law, right? It was a part and parcel of the way that God provides daily bread for his people way before those ceremonies ever came into existence. It's not a new thing when it appears in the Ten Commandments. Now, of course, for Israel, it certainly was a new thing. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And now all of a sudden, God is telling them, commanding them, making them take 52 days off a year. They had never had this before. It was a glorious thing. It was a delightful thing for them. Although, as we saw in Exodus 16, some still 
didn't believe it. Some still refused to receive this gift of God. Exodus 20 tells us, though, that we are to call the Sabbath a delight precisely because as we keep the Sabbath holy, we are imitating our creator God and the pattern of work and rest that he gave us in the creation. We are entering into the blessing of that day that he himself has blessed. So as we think of these three things, we think of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, we think of of Jesus and his example on the Sabbath, we think of Jesus and his concern for doing what is lawful on the Sabbath. What this tells us is that Jesus is affirming that on the Sabbath day, which in the new covenant is his day, the Lord's day, his disciples should still rest from their ordinary labors and ordinary activities of the six days. They should still give rest to others, right? We aren't to keep holy the Lord's hour or the Lord's morning, but, but the Lord's day, one whole day in seven, that we might enjoy the blessing of this day that he has set apart for us and that we might do the works that were appropriate, that are appropriate to be done on the Sabbath day. You remember Jesus in John 5, another conflict with the, the Pharisees over uh, Sabbath observance. And it says that, that Jesus told them, look, God is still working on the Sabbath day, right? Yes, it's true. In Genesis, we read that he rested. What was he resting from? He was resting from his work of creation, but he didn't stop working altogether. He continued his work of providence, continued to uphold the world by the word of his power. And in the same way, God tells us to to stop certain things so that we can do other things. If we fill our Sabbath days with unnecessary tasks, with the activities and recreations and commerce of the other six days, then how will we be free to do the works of piety and works of mercy that Jesus commends and commands for us here in this passage? How can we focus on the Lord on his day if we're still focusing on the work and the play of the six days? Uh, if we're honest, I think we, we will admit that J.C. Ryle is correct in these words that I'm about to read. These words were written in 1858. Don't, 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 don't miss that. 1858, J.C. Ryle's about to say what he said. Think about, what, think about this. He says, it is in this antinomian direction that our danger chiefly lies in modern times, 1858. There is little risk of our committing the error of the Pharisees and keeping the Sabbath more strictly than God intended. Little risk that we're going to fall into that error. The thing to be feared is the general disposition to neglect the Sabbath, to rob it of that honor which it ought to receive. Let us take heed to ourselves in this matter. And I think Raul is right. And again, if he was right in 1858, how much more in 2023? With Raul, I fear that many Christians today are not giving serious thought to what is lawful or unlawful to do on the Lord's day. Not giving serious thought to how you use or ought to use the Sabbath day, particularly Sunday afternoons and evenings. Uh, Not giving serious thought to how the world's view of the Sabbath day is impinging and and, and pressing down upon us, permeating the church's thinking in every realm of life. And so ask yourself, is the Lord's day a different day for you? Or is it the same as the rest of the week? Do you work or cause others to work on this day? Are you using Sundays to do things that, that could be done on another day of the week? Are you ceasing from the labor, the activity of the six days so that you can get the physical rest that you need for the next six days so that you can get the spiritual reorientation and refreshment that you so desperately need from the word of God and the people of God so that you can spend time doing the deeds of piety and mercy that Jesus commends to us and commands to us here. One of the ways to ask yourself, to examine your own heart is to ask yourself this question. 
would Jesus defend my actions? The way I spend my Sabbath day, the way that he defended his disciples' actions. He came to their defense here. As you look at your life and the way you live on the Sabbath day, would he come to your defense? Ask yourself that question. Now, others of you though, others of you even here in this room need to, to search your heart, to search your actions, to see if, the, if it's not the lawless spirit that has captivated your heart and mind, but if the legalistic spirit of the Pharisees is in your heart. How easy it is to trust in yourself that you are righteous and view others with contempt. How easy it is to give to others a judgment of severity, but yourself a judgment of charity. How easy it is to lower the standard of God by adding attainable rules and and easily accomplished regulations and ignore the weightier matters of the law. Again, the legalist is just as lawless as the antinomian. Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself falling off the ditch into the magnolia roots or do you find yourself smashing up against the house? Wherever it is this morning, whether you're a legalist or an antinomian with regard to the fourth commandment, I want you to hear that God's solution for all of us is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ that is so beautifully pictured for us here in the Lord's Supper. James Henley Thornwell, a 19th century Presbyterian from South Carolina, puts it like this, the gospel like its blessed master, is always crucified between two thieves, legalists of all sorts on the one hand and antinomians on the other. The former legalist robbing the Savior of the glory of his work for us in our place, on our behalf. The other, the antinomian, antinomian robbing Jesus of his work, the glory of his work within us. Do you hear what Thornwell is saying? On the one hand, legalism robs Jesus of the glory of his work for us. It, it takes to itself some pride, boasting, what have I done? Look how good I am. I'm a Sabbath keeper. But the, the antinomian robs Jesus of the glory of his work within us, denying that the gospel of Jesus, that the cross of Jesus changes us and gives us a love for the word of God, a love for the law of God. And so to arrest these two thieves, we must continually look to Jesus, fixing our eyes upon him who died on the cross to bear God's wrath against all of our Sabbath breaking. Jesus has died for our sins. All of us in this room have broken the fourth commandment and Jesus has paid the penalty that our sin deserves. But Jesus also through his death, as Titus 2 says, has died to redeem us from every lawless deed to purify a people for himself that are zealous for good deeds. And so we look to the cross and we see that Jesus has died to rescue us from Sabbath breaking. You see, it says we look to Jesus, as we look to the gospel, this will make us truly delight in the Sabbath, to call the Sabbath day a delight. Do you remember that when Moses, do you remember that Moses gave the 10 commandments two times, right? First in Exodus 20, as God's people were entering into the wilderness, right, leaving Egypt. But he gave them a second time in Deuteronomy chapter 5, as they were about to enter into the promised land. And do you remember that when it comes to the fourth commandment, in Deuteronomy 5, Moses actually gives a different reason why we should keep the Sabbath day holy. So remember in, in, in Exodus, it's for in six days God made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, right, and rested on the seventh day. That's why we should keep the Sabbath day holy. 
In Deuteronomy, it's different. It's a different reason. Not different in the sense that it's replaced the old, but different in the sense that it's additional to the first one. And what is that reason? He says this, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You were slaves. You had no days off. And God made you take 52 days off a year. But what he says, he's saying, he's saying more than that. He's saying, you have been rescued. You have been delivered by the grace of God that you might obey him, that you might love him, that you might love his day. And if that was true for Israelites who've been rescued out of Egypt, how much more true is it for us on this side of the cross of Christ who've been delivered and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who've been freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, who through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all that was foreshadowed in the Exodus story, we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven, we have been freed. How much more should that cause us to delight in the Sabbath day, to use it as Jesus calls us to use it, not in a legalistic manner, not in a lawless manner, but keeping the Sabbath day holy in accordance with God's word, in accordance with Jesus's example. My prayer is that we would take seriously the law of God, that we would be able to, to sort of drive down that driveway in the middle, but that in all that we would look to Christ, we would look to his cross, we would remember the glory of his work for us and the glory of his work within us. And that both of those things that are so true in the cross of Jesus would cause us to call the Sabbath a delight. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Would you convict us, Lord, where we need to be convicted? You know each one of us. You know how we tend to spend our Sundays. You know the way we think about your commandments. Lord, we pray that you would do the work that only you can do by your Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, not merely to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word for your glory. Lord, thank you for your cross. Thank you that you have died for us and you have died to transform us into your likeness and your image, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.